be a wordsmith is defined as a person who writes, an author, a journalist, a person who commits their thoughts to paper. But I believe it is so much more. The ability to craft a story, to change lives, to transport the ordinary life to an extraordinary place, to put words on paper and awaken the imagination in ways the reader never dreamed possible. Yes, to have the ability to see what isn't there and make you see it too. To awaken the senses in new and amazing ways. To feel a cool breeze on a hot summer day on your cheeks. To smell wildflowers as they bloom. To taste a delicacy on a foreign soil. To feel like you've never felt before. Touching places long forgotten. Connecting with your souls in new ways. That's what writers do. It's my pleasure to host Speaking of Writing, a new podcast. Speaking of Writing is open for authors from all over the world. This gives us an opportunity to broaden our experiences, to hear actual writers' voices, hear what inspires them, experience their trials and struggles, and realize that we all have a story and they are all worth telling. I hope you enjoy this. This is Rose Cushing, and I'm the host of Speaking of Writing Literary Podcast, and my guest today is John Dodakis. John, welcome to the show. Hi, Rose. It's good to be with you. So tell us a little bit about you, first of all. Well, I'm old. <laughs> Me too. Um, I've been around. I started in, uh, in journalism back in the late 60s. I had a 45-year career as a journalist, covered the White House for the uh, last three years of Reagan's presidency, uh, spent uh, 25 years at CNN, um, most of that time as an editor, uh, the last seven as one of Wolf Blitzer's editors on the Situation Room. I retired from CNN uh, 10 years ago, but while I was at CNN and, and when I was first made an editor, I discovered it was tedious and I needed a creative outlet, so I started writing novels as if it's that easy. And the first novel I wrote took 10 years to get the agent I've got. And so I tell my writing students, if you take good notes, they'll save you nine years in the process. So since then, Very I've good. written uh, five mystery suspense thriller novels uh, with a protagonist who's a young woman in her 20s. She goes into journalism. You're right what you know. Uh, the last two books, she's been a White House correspondent. And uh, in the one I just finished, the first draft of... Uh, just this last week, she becomes a White House press secretary. Nice. Nice. So I, I, I'm reading your bio, you know, and I, I, you've won a, a lot of awards. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I mean, awards are awards. I, I, I'm like kind of uncomfortable about that. But, uh, you know, the, the, it's, the novel writing has gone pretty well. I, I think Bullet in the Chamber, my fourth novel, is the first time I started Entering it into, entering my writing into awards, and I got a a, a, a Quill Award, a, a, a Reader's Choice Award. I mean, you know, there are yes, that's awesome. I got an, there was an Emmy when I was at CNN, but that was for our coverage of the 9/11 uh, terrorist attacks, and I was just a cog in the wheel, really. Um, so it's nice to know, though, that uh, especially when it comes to novel writing, you know, some of the stories seem to resonate um, uh, at some level. 
Oh, I'm sure they do. It's fascinating stuff that you cover in your books. Um, now, tell me a little bit about your podcast. I started at the beginning of COVID. Uh, I'm just speaking. I'm not speaking for myself. I think everybody found themselves inside and needing some sort of an outlet. Right. And I, I, I just realized I love talking to people, and I especially love talking to people who will answer my questions because I'm voraciously curious. And because the technology is so advanced, uh, you know, you don't need a big studio, you don't need big cameras, um, you know, you can do it online. And so I started doing just an impromptu podcast. I'm very busy, so I do it live on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Um, that way I don't have, any, have to do any post-production. Mm-hmm. And um, I, it's, so it's a live stream, and I think most of the traction then comes uh, in the uh, archived version. Right. And it's called One to One with John Dudekis, and uh, I just talk to people I'm interested in, most of whom happen to be writers, but not all. And um, so I've been doing that for the last two years or so when I get the time. Podcasting is so much fun. I have really enjoyed doing that more than anything else I've done in my career, I think. Why is that? I, asking a question. I'm like you. I'm very curious, and I only talk to people I'm really interested in. And it's fun to just, you know, get to know them and and have them answer my questions. And you know, feel free to ask me questions. And you know, just have that time one on one with people, like you say. And uh, I used to do TV, but since I don't do video on my podcast, you know, everybody's relaxed and they don't feel like they have to be dressed up and all the things that go with the video part and it's certainly a lot easier in post-production exactly yeah no you and i are birds of a feather that way for sure so your your most recent book is fake is that the name of it fake is the most recent one um my even though i've written a series uh that has uh, five books in it so far they don't need to be re- uh, read in order. Um, you get just enough to know something happened, but not enough to get a spoiler alert. And uh, and they also, if, if you read them earlier, you can get a you know, with some of the ones in the middle, you get a sense that something else is going to happen, and hopefully you'll read more at stake. My protagonist, Lark Chadwick, is uh, a White House correspondent, and she's uh, uh, at this point, she's interviewing the first lady, uh, and the first lady dies suddenly during the interview, and that's how the and that's how the book begins. I started writing it when Trump was elected president because I was troubled by the, his comments that journalists are the enemies of the American people. I know from being inside journalism for 45 years that making things up as a rep as a reporter at a reputable news organization is a firing offense. And so all of my novels, even before Trump came along, were designed to give people a, a glimpse at how journalism really operates. Um, and so in fake, Lark is the victim of fake news, stuff that's just made up about it. And people are all too willing, unfortunately, to believe things they see on the Internet or, or read on the Internet even though it's not true. They don't care. It's, it's their, uh, their presuppositions, and I think there are dangerous consequences, so I wanted to highlight the problem and still tell a fun story. Well, that sounds like a very interesting book. It is. 
<laughs> now is that out now? Yes, it's been out. It got. It came out um, during the uh, 2020 presidential election. Okay. So it was in pre, It was in print in 2019, and uh, it's still my most recent one because uh, Rose, I've got procrastination nails, and so it has taken me four years to complete the first draft of book six <laughs> in the series. I titled that one "Enemies Domestic." Uh, it's taken from the oath of office, uh, where uh, all government employees are sworn to protect the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And given our political situation right now, um, we have to be really afraid of, or really concerned about domestic energy enemies who are seeking literally to undermine democracy. I agree. I definitely agree with you. Now, you, you said that this was um, a series, so start at the beginning and tell us a little bit about each book that's out there so that the readers will know how to, to find them and, and what they're about. Wow, thank you, Rose. That's, uh, every author loves that question. Um, in uh, my first novel, it's Fast Trash. It's set in southern Wisconsin, where I grew up, and uh, Lark Chadwick is a 20-something young college dropout. She was, uh, the backstory is she was sexually assaulted by her English professor, and we pick up the story when she has been trying to write, uh, without much success, the great American novel. So she's a waitress, and she goes home to talk about it with her aunt, who raised her from infancy after her parents were killed in a car accident. But when Lark gets home from work, she discovers the body of her aunt dead on the floor of carbon monoxide poisoning, and apparent suicide, and that trauma launches Lark on a search for her path. And she goes to the small town in Wisconsin where the accident happens, gets a newspaper clipping of the accident, discovers to her astonishment that it was a car train collision that she survived, but no one had ever told her about it. Wow. Um, she convinces the newspaper editor to let her do a follow-up story on the miracle baby who survived the accident, um, two of her sources are the mayor and the sheriff. They're running against each other for Congress. The election is one week away, and each guy has a secret that will unravel the mystery. So that's Fast Track, book one. Book two is Bluff, set in the same place. Lark becomes a, uh, a reporter for Lionel Stone, her mentor at this weekly newspaper in southern Wisconsin. And Lark, in this book, helps Lionel solve the mystery surrounding his daughter's death along the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu in Peru. Um, Troubled Water, book three in the series, takes place in Georgia, southern Georgia, where Lark goes to work at a, as a cop and courts reporter at a, uh, a daily newspaper that's a feeder for newspaper. You know, they get, they, their reporters often get Pulitzer Prizes, and that gets them uh, jobs at the New York Times and other newspapers. Her mentor, Lionel Stone, is a Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, a former editor at the New York Times. So he has pushed her out of the nest, and on her way to the new job, she discovers the body of a young girl who strangled. It turns out it's the first victim of what becomes the work of a serial killer, but as the cops and courts reporter, Lark has the inside track on the investigation. Uh, before Bullet in the Chamber, uh, by this time, Lark is a White House correspondent. Uh, the book begins on her first day in the White House briefing room, and the briefing room of the White House is attacked. The, the president
Sherry Spake is, I think, meant, I mentioned the first lady died, mm-hmm. and he helped Pete. Lark has lost her boyfriend in, uh, in the previous book, and of course the president has lost his wife, so both Lark and the president are grieving. They're attracted to each other, but they can't really do anything about it because they're busy grieving their losses. And in the meantime, the president is trying to defuse a nuclear crisis. So Lark becomes instrumental in, in helping bring that about. And of course, is the, is the victim of fake news at the same time. So that's the essence of all three books. Or all five, sorry, all five books. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like such an intriguing character. And I love the way that you've allowed her to grow in her job, you know, skills and what she's done, and you followed her progress through higher jobs and things. That's really cool. Thank you. And, and she actually starts out with sort of anger issues, some impulsiveness, and an and early uh, uh, conversation that she has with a, a sort of a mentor person um, notices the spike and flight tendencies that she has. So that's sort of a constant struggle that she has in relationships going forward. And, you know, just about the time she learns something, she's tempted to backslide into the old ways that she knows are counterproductive. And one librarian actually told me she was very pleased to read how Lark changes over time. So thank you. I I think you're on to something. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that was really, really an interesting twist to the story that you're, you're not necessarily expecting. So there's, I love it when there's a backstory and a backstory. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just like real life. Yeah, definitely. Everything's layered. Do you, um, so I, I read, reading in your bio that you are a writing coach? That's right, and that came sort of inadvertently. Um, first, when they made me an editor at CNN, and I found that uh, often, you know, in addition to just trying to catch factual errors and guard against clunky writing, you know, I found myself um, um, uh, editing the script of uh, international correspondence, including at one point uh, Maria Ressa, who was the Manila bureau chief, who went on to win the Pulitzer or the uh, Nobel Peace Prize. Wow! So, uh, so that's that's one of my success stories. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Maria was all Maria was already a pretty solid journalist by that time. But um, I had reporters come up to me and say, "I just don't know how to get this story started." And I'd say, well, what are you, what are you trying to say? And then they would just easily articulate it. I said, you just answered your own question. And they go, thanks. And they go out and they write their story. Right. And when I became a, a traditionally published novelist, I'd go to a writer's conference and someone would hand me their 150,000 word tome and say, give it a quick read and tell me what you think. <laughs> as if, as if there's such a thing with me as a quick read. Right. And it, and it means work is not really going to be that much of a help. And so I monetized it. And so um, I became a manuscript editor that evolved into also being a one-on-one writing coach because, look, I made a lot of mistakes uh, in my not only my journalism career but my uh, novel writing career, and I've been able to deconstruct the process. So now I've got about, I don't know, 16 or 17 classes, different uh, subjects, that I teach. In fact, right now, I'm, I'm talking to you from the grounds of the Chautauqua Institution in South Central New York State, where I'm teaching all this week on, high, on from novice to novelist. It's a five-day class on basically deconstructing a 
deeply into how to write a novel. That is amazing, but you're a busy man. You sound like oh, me, and I, this is retirement. I, 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 as you probably know, if you're busy, you're happy. Absolutely. Happy. Absolutely. I always tell my son that this is my version of retirement, babe. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I highly recommend it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So how can people find where your classes are if they're interested in taking some classes with you? Well, and a lot of the classes are online, so you can be anywhere because I teach often at writing at literary centers or writing centers around the country. Uh, most of them are like the Loft in Minneapolis, uh, the Muse in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, the Writers Center in Bethesda, Maryland, near DC. Um, these are online classes. There are others, and you can find them on the events page of my website. And my website is myname.com. So it's mm-hmm. J O H N. D as in dog, E, D as in dog, A, K, I, S as in Sam, johndedakis.com. Okay, very nice. Now tell me. Then there's a portal on some of those pages where you can email me and and, and it'll get to this. Okay, okay. I'm looking at that now, I see. Um, Now where can people find your books? I would say, well, again, my website is probably a good place to start. There's a page devoted to the books. So there's a thumbnail of, of each book, some endorsements, some blurbs, and, uh, and then they link to uh, Amazon. Um, you can also get them as audio books, all but one. There's still, there's still an audio book that's in process, but uh, four of the five novels are also audio books. I've noticed that it's available at least in some places on the Libby Online Library. Um, they're also Kindle books. Um, you can probably get them at your bookstore, although you may, since the most recent one came out in 2019. It's probably not in your bookstore, but you could order it at an independent bookstore and they can get them easily, and some libraries carry them as well. And I see that you did do editing. So is that a professional business where people send it to you and you, you do it for a price? Yes. Um, okay. Tell us about I, that. I have a, there's a, I, I would suggest probably the best thing to do is have somebody um, email me and then I can send them a breakdown of what the editorial services are and how much they cost. Because, you know, I, do, I can do an overall um, developmental edit. I can do a deep dive, nitpicking copy edit. Um, I can work with you one-on-one as a coach. Um, I can do what I call a weed whack. That's if you've got a, just a bloated manuscript and you have no idea how to cut it down. I can, you know, cut, cut out all the underbrush for you. Mm-hmm. I've done some ghostwriting. I'm very selective about that because that's a huge time commitment and it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I've, 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 I do a lot of editing as well, and I, I love to do that. That's really good to know because, you know, finding a good editor is really a secret to success. It really is. I mean, I encourage people, though, before you hire a professional, take your manuscript to a beta reader. You know, find Mm -hmm. three people in your life, preferably who read in the genre that you've written, and and, and give them permission to tell you what's not working. You don't have to pay these people, and their, their reactions will be priceless and invaluable because... They're more objective about it. You're too close to it by this time to see the, the problem. You see it in your head, but the question is, did it make it to the page? And beta readers 
and then you can fix it up. So that when it comes time to try to find an agent, um, you can then hire a professional to, uh, uh, to make it uh, pristine. Right, right. Good advice. Very good advice. It is, it is good to get all the, the bugs worked out that you can possibly find before you hire the professional so you can get the exactly. best job. <clears throat> Absolutely. We, um, we, we did a, a workshop with an editor, Leslie Waugh, that uh, edits for the Washington Post. And when she was talking, she said, you know, editing is an act of love because editors don't get their names in your book. They don't have their name in lights. You know, they really, really do that to make you be better. And that's really, exactly. you know, they're not your enemy. They're really doing it to help you. Oh, boy, that is so true. And yeah. And it's hard to believe that when you're on the receiving end of, you know, all that red or blue ink, you know, that mm -hmm. seems to be besmirching your page. Mm -hmm. But the professional writer understands that they need an extra pair of objective eyes that'll catch the things that, that you miss. And, and we all miss stuff. Right. Right. Well, I thought that was a cool way to phrase it so that it made sense to people because... You know, it hurts to hear how bad you've done, no matter who you are. <laughs> well, speak for, your, speak for yourself, Rose Cushion. <laughs> well, I'm still new at, the, at writing um, at, for, for books. But, uh, you know, it's a good thing because every time you hear it, you grow. That's true. That really is. And it's so, you know, it, it can be so surprising when, you know, you think you've written a brilliant scene and then someone says, well, would they really do that or... I didn't see that, mm -hmm. and uh, boy, that's, that's invaluable feedback. Absolutely, absolutely. So many times it's crystal clear in my head, but, but nobody else has a clue what I'm talking about because I think <laughs> faster than I write. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Are you a planner or a seat of the pants? Seat of the pants. Uh, which then means the rewrite process is critical. Yes, most definitely, most definitely. I uh, I just sit down and start and let the pen take me. So, <laughs> well, that's where the magic is. It is. For years, I I published a magazine and I had deadlines and hard you know hard things that I had to do, and it's nice now that I don't have big time constraints. I can really just let my imagination go. Right. Yes. Exactly. Now, what advice would you give to folks out there that are coming into the writing world and trying to be successful? You know, can you give them some coaching on the podcast for me? I sure can. First, um, how do you define success? If, success? if by success you mean that your lane will be in light, everyone will know it, you'll be a bestseller, um, I would say lower your expectations. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are something like 15,000 books a day that are being published. And um, so the chances of, of lightning striking and you, you know, making a million writing is a long shot. That's not to say it won't happen. But on the other hand, success can also be finishing the novel and even having, you know, a couple of people like it. Uh, I think that's, that's important. Success, I think, is being able to finish the project. Uh, success is even getting it started. Um, it's it, because I think a lot of people have stories in them that are just uh, 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 crying to get out, and they have been following you around for years, but, you know, for one reason or other, partly because life gets in the way, but partly maybe because you have imposter syndrome or you just don't, don't 
my encouragement is right. But if you don't think you're that good, take classes, get better, you know, hone your chop, mm-hmm. find out how you can improve your writing. And I would even go so far as I'll make one more point, and that is I encourage my students to really try to get an agent and to go the traditional route, even though it isn't easy to get published uh, in terms of self-publishing. Mm-hmm. But if you approach it like a professional, um, trying to get an agent, that will bring your writing to a professional level. And that then means that if you do decide to go self-publish, your book will stand out because it's so much better because of the time and effort that you put in to making the details just right. I love that you said that because whenever I coach people, myself, my first statement is you got to know what success means to you because in my businesses, I ran for years with my hair on fire and it didn't matter what kind of success I achieved, it was never enough because I didn't know what success was. Exactly. I think you said it really well. Um, and, and all too often, I think life is, is looking twenty, looking back, and you know the whole twenty twenty hindsight. I mean, I wish I knew so many. I wish I knew then what I know now. But one of those things is about success. I mean, I'm successful because I'm doing what I love. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the way that you said, you know, think about your success in stages and steps because, you know, you don't go from point A to point Z without all the other letters in the middle. Exactly. So great advice, definitely. Anything else you want to tell our listeners before we go? I can't think of anything. You've been very generous with your time and excellent questions that have, you know, allowed me to cover so much ground. And, um, you know, I just feel, I'll say one more thing. I suppose this is advice. Uh, And that is that if you're a writer, be very curious about the people around you. It's very easy as a writer to get in your own bubble. And I think, though, that the way we fuel our creativity is when we are in vital contact with other people. And that, I feel, means asking questions, getting to know other people, not being afraid to go deeper than the superficial cocktail talk at a party. Um, Because the, the better, the more you're listening, the more you're learning. And when you're learning, that's fueling your creativity. So it'll widen your horizon and it'll make you a better writer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Rose. And as always, guys out there listening, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Everybody has a story. Just let your mind drift away and find yours. I know it's out there. What are you waiting for?